Hey, you'll catch on. That's uh, that little sound there. That was just left over from uh, senior high camp. And pretty soon you'll be saying hey to me as well. And I'll say hey back and we'll be good. We are the Beckman family, right? You good there? There we go. We're the Beckman family, missionaries to Thailand. This is our 20th year in Thailand. We've been planning a church on the west side of Bangkok since 2009. Praise the Lord for that. So my wife, so my wife ma'am, is not only in the picture, she's standing next to me. Our oldest daughter is Ryan. She's 18, just graduated from high school. Our son, Hudson, is 17, going to be a senior in high school. We often introduce our family this way. We have two kids and another one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when I was 45, the Lord gave us another child, and she is Naya. She is our ball of fire. <laughs> People, I've heard this said, and I bet you, you could repeat this as well. When you have a child in your older age that people, and you may think this, children keep you. Yeah. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> they keep you tired. We were going to do certain things, but I'm going to change it up a little bit because I have some good news to share. But I, I, just to give you a little feel for the flavor of Thailand and just a brief little snippet. Thailand's a country of 70 million people. 94% of those people are Buddhist. Another 5% are Muslim. Less than 1% are Christian of any kind or denomination. Any kind or denomination. Less than 1% of that is Christian. That's a challenge. The, the gospel has been in Thailand for more than 250 years. But to date, to date, there has never been a spiritual awakening to the gospel of Christ ever. Put that in perspective. So for all of human history, all of human history, Thailand and the Buddhist world has always been under the control of Satan. There are places in the Muslim world that had their day when the gospel was presented. Turkey is a wonderful example of that. Asia, East Asia has never had that day. That could be discouraging. I look at it this way. In heaven, the Bible says there are going to be people from every tribe, nation, language, and tongue, right? So if it hasn't happened in the past, why not in our generation? One of the challenges of working in Thailand, uh, you know what? Does this mic work over here? We're good? Okay. Good. So one of the challenges of working in Thailand, and that's why I brought my translator with me, just kidding, is that the, the Thai language is a difficult language, very difficult. It's a large language. There are 44 consonants and 37 vowels. You, the only way you know how to spell correctly is just purely memorization. There are four T's, four S's, a couple L's, a couple N's. You get the picture. And then there are short and long vowels. Not only does that make it difficult, it's also a tonal language. So one wor word can have more than one meaning depending on the tone with which that word is spoken. For example, the word, are you ready? Okay, the word is rice. Cow. The word is white. Cow. The word is the news. Cow. The word is fishy smelling. Cow. Mm. Cow, 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 cow. And then there are short vowels that sound similar, but to the Thai ear, they don't sound similar because they're shorter and that's spelled with differently. So for example, enter the building. Oh. He, she, or it. Oh. Your knee. Oh. Okay. Yeah. 
So you can actually make whole sentences with what seemingly sounds to the American ear. That's how, that's how we know that English will be the language of heaven. Because Americans can't learn another language. <laughs> so, for example, uh, it sounds very similar, but it's different. For, for example, the, the sentence is, don't burn new wood. My, my, my. <laughs> my, my, my. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to share the gospel and burn the house down. <laughs> <laughs> or, for example, just one more. Uh, who sells chicken eggs? Yeah. Thank you very much. That's the challenge. You can put that right back over there. So we can make some guarantees as missionaries to Thailand that other missionaries can't make when they go off to the mission field. My guarantee is this, that... Throughout our years of being missionaries in Thailand, I promise you, I guarantee that one of us will speak Thai without an accent. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. <laughs> I meant her. Okay. Staff, where are you? If you're staff, staff, can you guys raise your hands? I was going to do something. We were going to have my wife share a little bit in her testimony. You would be blessed by what God has done and what God does through missions. Maybe we'll get that in our time, but I cannot not share with you the good news I've heard this morning. Where, where else is staff? Staff, raise your hands. You've been praying for someone, and you get to, you, the rest of you get to be in on this. Just over a week ago, there was a young man named Braden. He's Lao. He's from Des Moines. His parents are first-generation Americans. They came to America as the first family. He was one of the first children born in America. His parents are still Buddhist. He lives in two worlds. When he's in his house, he lives in a Buddhist Lao house. When he steps out of his house, he lives in America. Just over a week, he started, coming, he started going to church at Living Water Fellowship on the south side of Des Moines less than a month ago through the influence of a friend. Just over a week ago, Braden wasn't coming to camp. But Pastor Daggett, I believe I have Pastor Daggett, right? He must have some power, some, some pull or something. Got Braden, they were able to get Braden into camp. He'd never been to camp before. This is his first exposure to Christianity. On Tuesday of last week... I'm preaching not this, all the same messages, but I'm going to be preaching under the same theme of writing for the brand. And on Tuesday of last week and Friday morning of last week, I spoke on if we're going to ride for the brand, we're going to have to overcome some obstacles. On Tuesday, I spoke specifically about overcoming cultural obstacles, talking about the challenge of working and dealing with Buddhist people in Thailand. I showed picture of two young men in Thailand. They're, not, they're now out of college. They're working and who, who, with whom I've been friends, close friends, witnessed to them for years who would, if they were to stand here today, they would say, I know I need to accept Christ. Without Christ, I will spend eternity in hell. I know that, but I can't do that because if I do, my family will completely reject me. And so they haven't to this day yet accepted Christ. Showed those pictures. And then I had my wife 
share her testimony of salvation, how she was the first Christian in her family saved through the ministry of Filipino missionaries in Thailand. ABWE's first field many years ago was the Philippines. The gospel went forward in the Philippines. Filipinos were one to the Lord, realizing that the Great Commission is for them as well. Went off one of their first places and still one of their only places is Thailand. Those Filipino missionaries moved to northeastern Thailand. I'll have her share her story maybe tomorrow. But she shared her story and what, it, what she went through being the first Christian in her family. The next day, Rob Pearson, the youth leader, the counselor for Living Water Fellowship, came up to me and said, your talk and your wife's testimony resonated with Braden. He has asked if you wouldn't mind talking to him. I said, no, I'm the speaker. <laughs> I said, Rob, anytime I'm not speaking, I don't care when it is, other than the time I'm speaking, anytime, anywhere, I'm there. After games were over, Friday afternoon, we got together, and he handed Braden off to us. My wife and I sat with Braden for an hour and a half Friday. Today, it's Friday. I am so messed up with days. Friday afternoon, we sat with him for an hour and a half, walked through the gospel. He knew he, he wanted Christ. He knew the weight of his sin, the punishment for his sin. He understood that completely. And I said, Brayton, would you like to accept Christ right now? And he said, Pastor Nathan, I can't. I want to. I, I want to. But if I go home... My mom is going to say, you go to a Christian camp for one week and you think you're a Christian? So I can't do it. And I said, okay, would you let me do this? Would you let me just pray with you right now and ask God to give you the courage to do what you need to do? And then let's pray for your parents that God might open their hearts. And if they don't want to become Christians themselves, allow you to become a Christian. He said, okay, let's pray. We prayed. And I said, I want you to go have fun for the rest of the day. Don't spend all your afternoon. Go. So I'll meet up with you tonight. We'll talk some more. So he went on, spent the rest of the day. I didn't get a chance to meet up with him on Friday evening, the busyness of Friday, the, the campfire, all those things. I didn't get a chance. So I woke myself up early yesterday morning, and I camped outside breakfast, waiting for I didn't want to bother him during breakfast, but as they, his table got up, I grabbed him by the shoulder, took him around. He actually asked, can I give you a hug? I said, yeah, I want a hug. And we put his arm and said, do you still, you still know you need to accept Christ? Yes, I do. Do you want to do it now or do you want to wait? He said, I want to wait. I said, okay. I found out he lives two minutes from where we'll be staying when we're staying with my brother-in-law and sister in Des Moines. Got his contact. I said, I'm visiting you. I want to meet your parents. Maybe we can help and talk to your parents. He said, that would be fantastic. Yesterday afternoon, I got a note from Rob Pearson, the youth director at Living Water, saying, and he act, all he did was he sent me, a, it's called a screenshot, right? Okay, thank you. I know this stuff. Here's Michigan. <laughs> screenshot. He sends me a screenshot, and, and it was Braden's text to Rob saying, I got home, told my parents that I want to become a Christian. I asked permission if they would allow me to accept Jesus as my Savior. And the, in the, this is all his words. They said, whatever you want to believe... We're okay with that. 
Rob, this is still part of the text. Rob, can I come to church tomorrow and you can help me to become a Christian? The battle wasn't done yet. This morning during Sunday school, I got a picture from Rob with his arm around Braden and the message, thank the Lord for a new brother in Christ. So Dave, Call- as far as Dave Callison's concerned, this was the, fir- the, time- the first time ever that someone has cried during his Sunday school message. <laughs> it's amazing. God, I-, I don't know if God wants me here this week. I'm certain God wanted us here last week, all the way from Thailand, and you've heard stories of others. But this one kid who needed to hear the gospel from a perspective, from a person who understands exactly the decision he was making. (laughs) And God brought it together. God wants to work. Hallelujah. I'm a little bit, let's, let's pray if you wouldn't mind so that I can get my my mind right, and then we'll turn to the book of Galatians. God, you are so good, better than we deserve. And we're thankful for the work that even today you're doing as a result of the work that's been done in camp and even the couple weeks before camp. Protect Braden even today. Make this young man a trophy of grace. and bring others to faith through him, even his family. Bless the rest of the time we have in Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter five. Our theme for the week, and I'm gonna try to stick to this theme. Staff, by the way, thanks for praying. I hope that lifts you up some. I know you guys prayed. Hallelujah, no? No, that's a Thai thing. Hallelujah, right, right. The next one there, right? Our, our, our brand, our, excuse me, our theme for the week, and I want to stick to this, is writing for the brand. But where I want to go with this and the messages that I preach to you this morning is going to be very personal and, and it'll get different as we go on. But I want to talk about not just writing for the brand, but I want to talk about and the questions that we're going to be asking throughout this week is not just are you writing for the brand, but is this brand that you're writing for, is it authentic? Is it authentic? Is what you're doing, is what you believe, is what you say, is how you live in it, is it really, truly writing for the brand? And it starts this morning in the passage of scripture that God used to change my life. This, there are two portions of scripture that God used to get a hold of my heart. This is the main one. I grew up, I'm, I'm an Iowan. I grew up in Des Moines. I have had, I'm kind of the quintessential Iowan. My first job, first paying job ever, walking beans when I was nine years old. Yeah. After that, my second paying job, second paying job, I worked a summer at Adventureland. Yeah. My third paying job, I did it two years during high school. 
There was a man that went to Grandview Park Baptist Church. His name was Roger Miller. During the summer, he would run a crew all summer long at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. So for two summers, I worked all, not just at the fair, but all summer long at the Iowa State Fairgrounds. For, for two summers, I was a state of an Iowa employee, and I worked at the Iowa State Fair. I'm an, I love Iowa. If, there, if there's one camp that I'd like to speak at in America, this is it. Not that I would say no to other places. This is the place I want to be. I'm a New York Yankee fan. I was born in New York, but we moved to Iowa when I was five. You know, there's an, that's great. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for the looks. <laughs> Those were looks of endearment. <laughs> and I'm also a true Hawkeye fan. Thank you very much. <laughs> Dr. Fanus. I won't, we're not going to take, it's not going to go to where it went last week with where this had a mind of its, or like, took on a life of its own. I'm a true Hawkeye fan, serious hawk, true. There are a couple things that make us true Hawkeye fans, and you understand that. Number one, we cannot wait for the Iowa Hawkeye football team to lose their first game so we don't get destroyed in a Rose Bowl. <laughs> you know it's true. You feel bad a little bit when you're like, at least we're not getting destroyed in January on national TV. And the other thing is I can't stand Iowa State. <laughs> yep, just bringing them in, making them friends. Yep. Because I know how to win culture. <laughs> Dr. Fanus, I didn't say hate. Le just really don't like them. <laughs> and I'm a true Hawkeye fan in that even when Iowa State beats us and they're better, we know they're not. <laughs> because we're Hawkeye fans. And if we're anything, we're just better. <laughs> we, moved to, we moved to Iowa when I was four years old so my parents could go to Bible College of Faith. I grew up in a Christian home. I remember praying a prayer when I was four years old to accept Jesus as my Savior. And from that moment on, I never, ever, ever doubted my salvation. From that moment on, I never ever, there, was, there has never been a day in my life when I did not believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven and I needed to trust in Jesus alone for my salvation. There's never been a day when I did not believe that. And from that time when I was four years old, there was never a day in my life for many years where I did not even think twice about the fact I prayed that prayer, I'm saved, there's no reason to doubt. We moved to Iowa when I was five. I attended Grandview Park Baptist School, now Grandview Christian School, from first grade on. Went to church every Sunday, Wednesday. Went to Grandview. When I was in seventh grade, my, became, my parents became missionaries. They joined Baptist Missions to become missionaries in the Central African Republic. And they started deputation. As, as a seventh grader, they say we're going to be missionaries. As a seventh grader, that didn't mean a lot to me at the time. I didn't have big thoughts about missions or one way or the other, but it took them three and a half years to raise their support. So at the end of my 10th grade year, my parents say, we're going to Africa and you're going with us for at least your junior year. Well, then it was a problem. I did not want to go and I let my feelings be known. During that same 11th grade year, and that was the, the summer after, uh, 10th grade, excuse me, summer after, 10th grade, 
That was the summer that I worked at Adventureland. It helped also through this conversation and hearing what my parents were making me do, and I wanted no part of whatsoever. That would also be the same period of time that I, with my three best friends from Grandview, took my first drink of alcohol. That summer that I worked at Adventureland, every Tuesday night after Adventureland closed, all of the people that worked in the games department would go to a junky bowling alley on the east side of Des Moines, not off of like East 14th as I recall, and it was really a time where the people of age would buy people with, that were underage alcohol. It was that summer that I started to date an unsaved girl. In my own heart, as I'm doing these things, I know that they're wrong. There's no doubt in my mind that they're wrong. But in my mind, I just thought, I'm just not living for the Lord. And at some point in my life, I'll probably just need to dedicate my life to the Lord. And life will be different. I begged my parents not to make me go to Africa with them. They weren't having it. So I go off to Africa for my junior year of high school, having to homeschool. We get to Africa. My parents say, said, if everything goes well, everything goes and everything seems to be fine, we'll allow you to return to the United States and you can go to Grandview for your senior year of high school. I have two sisters who lived in the Des Moines area at the time. I, I could live with one of them if everything goes well. So in my mind, that seven months of Af in Africa would be something like a prison sentence and I would get on out on parole. So I convinced, and I told myself, just do your time and in seven months you'll be free. And this will be completely behind you. Two months into our time in Africa, I started getting sick. And I started getting sicker and sicker and sicker until I could not drag myself out of my bed. My mom was a nurse. She thought that I had malaria, so she was pumping me full of malaria pills. Finally, when these things clearly were not working, she takes me to a French doctor, and in that hospital, talking to that French doctor, he did some tests and found out that what I had was not malaria, but hepatitis. So she had been pumping me full of this medication that was actually hurting me, not helping me. They put me on some medication, and that started to help. But for the next five months of my time in Africa, I was sick. I was doing this. I'm sick. I'm doing my homeschool, just trying to get through it so that my parents will allow me to come back to America. And while I'm doing my homeschool in that 11th grade year, I had to do a Bible class. And my homeschool Bible class led me through a study of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And this is the study that God used to change my life. In this homeschool Bible, the study that I did, it was a study of the fruit of the Spirit. And, and the, the, the theme of the study was simply the question, what does the fruit say about you? And in this introduction to the study that I had to do, and I had to do lessons, I had, to make, I had to do a study on what the Bible says about each of these graces. They're not fruits, it's fruit. Each of these graces or each of these characteristics that make up the fruit of the Spirit. And the whole concept of this study was, it's not what you say, it, it's not what you think you know and having all the right belief that's the, the confidence that gives you or the proof that you're saved. It's the fruit that's coming out of your life. If God is in a person, fruit comes out. So when it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, it's the same thing as saying the proof of the Spirit's existence living in you. And I had to do a study 
on each one of these graces or characteristics. In my mind, I had, I had memorized these verses already. I was Mr. Awana boy. So these were not new verses for me. So here I go into this study. Having the fruit of the Spirit in your life is the proof of the, pres- of the Spirit's presence. Or simply put, it's proof of salvation. I could hold a seed up. I could hold an apple seed up right here and say, this is an apple seed. And you would have to make a choice whether you believe me or not. I could be telling the truth or I could be making it up. It might look like another seed that's similar to an apple seed. We would make it, we would make it 100% certain without any doubt whatsoever when what? We put it in the ground, wait a bit, and see what kind of fruit it produces. Then all question would be done away with. Right? Right. That's what's going on in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. I want to run through these and just work through. Here's the study that I had to do, and this was the conclusions that were drawn. These are the conclusions that were drawn from this study. It wasn't what my definition of was of what each of these characteristics or graces is. It's what God's definition. What is the biblical definition of each of these graces that God produces in the life in which the Spirit of God lives. So what are they? Well, let's read together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. There are nine there. We don't have the time clearly to go through each one in detail. But we'll start and we'll just talk about very quickly the biblical idea of each one of these. What's the biblical idea of what, when, when, the, when the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit, the proof that Jesus lives, the proof that the Holy Spirit is living inside is love. What does that mean? There's a biblical idea and definition or concept of love. And what is that? Biblical love is shown in self-sacrifice, right? But God commended his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3, 16 and 17 says it this way. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for others. So if it's love, if God's love is in us, it's not that we just accept Christ's sacrifice for us, his love for us. If we have it, guess what we do? We display that very same kind of love where we're willing to sacrifice for others. That's love. And the interesting thing about it is I thought in my own mind, yeah, I got love. That's not a problem. I understand love. I'm not confused about that. In fact, that unsaved girl, when she found out that in a couple months I was leaving to go to Africa, so she wants to break up with me because I'm not dating a guy who's going to Africa and his parents are missionaries. I actually told her I loved her, hoping that we would stay together. And in this study, and this is where it starts to become real for me, in this study, as we go through this very quickly, it talks about something else that might look like the biblical fruit but it's actually a, like a, a plastic fruit. Where if you're standing far, far enough away, you don't get too close, you don't touch it. You remember like some of your grandparents' house? Hopefully, if, if it's yours, I'm sorry. <laughs> Where you have that bowl of plastic fruit and it never goes bad. And as long as you're far enough away, you don't touch it and you don't try to use it, boy, it looks real. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I stand far back enough, this might look like a real apple. It even has some kind of different coloring to it. But it's plastic. It's not real. And then the study simply said this. Here's what 
plastic love, non-biblical love looks like. Plastic love is love with a limit, shown only to those you like. And then I had to, at the end of each of these studies, each of these graces, there was a question and a box. And, in the, and it said, do you have biblical God's love in your life? Yes or no? You know what? For the first time in my life, my parents weren't looking over my shoulder, making me do devotions or anything like that. I was doing this because I had to, clearly, but it was for a grade. My parents said, good grades, get done, go to America. I'm willing to do this. And I think to myself, if that's the, well, if, if this is real love versus plastic love, okay. I don't, I don't have this. But that's okay because there are eight more graces. Love, I can work on that. I'm fine. The next one is joy. What is biblical joy? Biblical joy is inner rejoicing because, because we know all things are under God's control. A perfect example of biblical joy that the study took me through was that story of Peter and John in Acts 5 where after they're beaten, what do they do? They go home rejoicing for having the honor and privilege of what? Suffering for the name. And then there's plastic joy. What's plastic joy? The, that good feeling we get when things go our way. And there was that question staring me at the face again. Do you have real joy, God's joy, or do you have that plastic banana joy? The one that is, if you get really far away, it looks pretty real, but you get up close, you know it's not real. And there I went again. I had to check that box. I don't have that. That's okay. There's seven more. So we come to peace. What's peace? Inner calm, knowing that all things are under God's control. John 14 speaks to that peace, talking about a different kind of peace I give to you. It's different than what the world gives. The world has one kind. I've got something different. And what's the plastic kind of peace? The plastic banana piece is not caring about the people or situations that happen around you. There are a whole lot of people that look really at peace when it really comes down to they just don't care. That's not peace. And then there was long-suffering. Enduring trials or patience, long-suffering or patience, enduring trials, persecutions, and frustrations with no thought of fighting back. And then there's that plastic banana long-suffering, that plastic banana patience, enduring problems in life only because you have to, never thinking about how much God is long-suffering with you. And there's that question again, the box. No one's looking over my shoulder asking me for the grade. It's just me. And for the first time, I'm answering questions honestly with God. And there's the check no again. Then gentleness. Uprightness, excellence, what's biblical gentleness? Helping those who don't deserve it as Christ has helped us. Nate, have you done that? I knew I hadn't. I knew I hadn't. I had fought my parents every step of the way and not wanting to be a missionary kid and not wanting to go to Africa. There was none of that in me. This was easy to answer. That was a quick no. The plastic banana one, what's the plastic one? Helping others so we can get something in return or because we have to. Then down to goodness. What is goodness? This is not being good. It is doing good. You might describe it this way. Biblical goodness is love in action. Being generous, going the extra mile, even when it's not deserved. The story of Joseph in the Old Testament. 
is an example of love in action goodness. That's the, how the Bible describes it. But there's a plastic banana kind one that as long as you look really far back, you don't touch it, it kind of looks like goodness. What's that? Doing good in one place, like church, but doing differently in another. Oh, man. I didn't even have to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's me. I knew it. There are churches in Iowa, when my parents were on deputation, I could say their name and you would know them well, who the pastor came to my dad in my presence and said, it's so awesome to see that your kids are so on board with being missionary kids. I could tell you his name and you'd know his name. And I read this and see this. I knew how I was at churches and I knew how I was when I was not at churches. I was a hypocrite. That was not good. Not goodness. Six down, I've got three more to go and I'm starting to get concerned. Then there's faith or faithfulness. Faithfulness is the better word. It's dependability, loyalty. And it's only shown. Faithfulness is not I'm faithful to Christ today. Faithfulness is what? It's a long walk on a straight path. That's it. And the question was, do you have faithfulness or is it this plastic banana faithfulness? Showing up, you're always there, but you're half-hearted. Not being bad, but not being your best either. Just showing up. That was me. Then there's meekness. What's meekness? The biblical idea of meekness. The attitude of submission to God's word and God's will for your life. Or one writer says it this way, and it's been used, it's not just one anymore. Power under control. Power under control. I had an example of meekness as a teacher at Grandview, and I thought of him immediately. His name's Cal Volker. That guy, power under control all the time. And then there's the plastic banana kind of meekness, and that is cowardice, not standing up or fighting for anything. And I knew that was me. I knew I'm in trouble now. I'm thinking about some other stuff. I got one more to go. Temperance, the idea of mastery. Controlling the desires, feelings, and emotions of the heart. Oh, man. I had so much anger at my parents. I didn't have to take time to look at the plastic banana one, but there's a plastic one. It's being neutral toward both good and wrong. My, my emotions were out of control, but it was in my heart. I never, if you ever met my dad, he was a big fella. He didn't speak softly, but he carried a big stick. <laughs> And I would not do anything to ruin his ministry. But I knew I was fake. Everything about me was this plastic banana that as long as you stayed far enough back from Nate, you don't get too close, maybe it might be okay. And I knew that about me. So there I am, 16 years old, having grown up in this family, being a missionary kid. My parents are missionaries in Africa. I'm sick, trying to get through the day, hoping and praying that I just get back to America where I can get healthy. 
And I've realized I have a bigger problem than I originally thought. My problem isn't that I need to dedicate my life to the Lord. My problem is what? I'm just flat out not saved. I, I never, ever doubted my salvation, ever. And those were the days of revivals in the 80s. I didn't play around. I never doubted it. I knew everything. There's never been a day when I didn't believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, the only way to heaven. There's never been a day in my life when I thought anything different or even doubted that. But only when I picked up Scripture and compared it to me did I realize what? It's more than just saying you believe something. Actually, just believe it in your head. You've got to act on it. So there I'm sick. I know I'm a sinner, and death is no longer this theory out somewhat, sometime when I'm old. I've got hepatitis. I'm scared to die. It's not a theory anymore. When I try to go to bed, I can't sleep. At 3 o'clock in the morning, I wake up. I go and I wake my dad up, scare him to death. Wake him up and say, Dad, i got a problem. i got to talk now. He gets up. And we talk, I said, this is what's going on. I don't think I'm saved. And he said, Nate, why don't you take a day and pray about it? No problem. I try to think maybe it's just a dedication issue. I go to bed the next night. I cannot sleep again. Three o'clock again the next night. I'm not even making this up. I wake him up again and said, this will be the last time I wake you up because this is a decision I have to make. I need Christ now. Not just whatever happened, some prayer that I prayed as if I shook beads and something happened. But I need to put my faith and trust in Christ alone now. And that night, my life changed. I didn't come to camp to this. I didn't have a preacher preach to me. It was simply for the first time opening up God's word and being honest with it. Note that these, there's a couple things that we maybe note. These make up one fruit. These are not different fruits, so I have this but not this. That's not how it works. When our lives are under the spirit-controlled power of God, this is the fruit of the spirit. This is the proof that the spirit is in us. Now, it not be the same in every single characteristic, but it's not I have this one but none of this. It's all one fruit. When God lives in a person, all these graces are developed. Notice also that these, this is fruit. It's not works. These are produced naturally in a healthy spiritual life in which God lives. Another thing to notice, this is the proof of what the tree is. This is the proof of what kind of tree it is. It's the proof that God lives in me. And I close simply with this. Why in the world is Nate Beckman preaching this at a family camp at IRBC? You paid to be here. You're Christians. After being, moving to Iowa to go to Faith Baptist Bible College when I was four, almost five, about two months in, one Sunday morning, we went to the, the church in Cambridge at the time. I saw my mom walk forward. As far as I knew, in a little five-year-old kid's mind, bad people go forward. My mom's not bad. 
So on the way home in the car, Mom, what happened? And my mom said, today I trusted Christ as my Savior. I've been saying stuff for my, all my life, but today I trusted Christ as my Savior. Why am I saying this? Because I wonder if there might be someone here who's just like me. There's, you know the words. Maybe you've had an experience. You believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But as you stare at the fruit coming out of your life, it doesn't look like what the Bible says. Maybe it's, you're just like me. And if that's the case, maybe you need Christ just like I did. Lord, help us to be the people you want us to be, work in a heart. I have no idea this, the spiritual condition of every heart here this morning. But I know it's entirely possible that there are maybe even one person here who has gone through the motions, maybe even thinking, never doubting anything until they finally pick up Scripture and be honest with it. If that's the case, save a soul today. Have a victory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.